Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Center. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Biswell. We talk a lot about serving around here, but, you know, I, I want to establish a thought over the next couple of weeks about what it really means to serve from sonship. Because we have a lot of servants in, in our world. We have a lot of people who, who, who serve, but they don't know who they are. And if we don't know who we are, we'll serve out of wrong motives and we'll serve for the wrong outcome. And years ago, there, there's a pastor from San Antonio named Rick Godwin. Some of you may have heard of his name. And he preached a brilliant message, sons, not servants. And so some of the points, I just want to be up front this morning, that I'm going to preach from this morning, come from him. They're not original to me. But, but I've adapted them you know, to, to what I believe God is saying to this house. But it, it was one of the best messages on sonship I've ever heard. And so I've adapted some of those points this morning. But I want to talk this morning about being sons, not servants. And some of the preliminary thoughts behind this is God is building the house. And I believe that in this season, as we are reinforcing you know, the idea of small groups and training leaders and looking to develop, you know, fivefold ministries. It, it is my heart. I don't want to be the only preacher. I don't want to be the only person doing the prophetic. I don't want to be the only person moving in the gifts. That is not the biblical model. The biblical model is, is, is exactly what we've established this church around. Ephesians uh, 4, 11 and 12. For he gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry so that together we might come to the full maturity of faith. I cannot walk in my full maturity of faith until you do. And so if I only, if I'm the only one operating in the gifts, if I'm the only one doing the ministry, then I'm lacking because you're not doing what you were called to do. That's the model of the New Testament church, is that everyone should be functioning. And so we are seeking in this hour, this is, this is my heart, this is Pastor Anna's heart, is not to just get you to serve in the house, but to release you into your destiny, to release you into your purpose. You have ministries, you have callings that God wants to build and He wants to move in And we want to be part of that. And so if you will, turn in your Bible to Psalm 127. Probably one of the most quoted scriptures on building uh, in Christendom. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, I, I'm, I am so aware of my need for you this morning. God, I need your anointing that makes preaching easy, that I might communicate what's on your heart, that, Father, we might become sons, not servants. 
And that, Father, as I preach this morning, I pray that your hands would be upon this and that when I pull my hands back, it's your handprint that's left. Father, I thank you that you're a builder and that we might be part of what you are seeking to build in Jesus' name. Amen. What, what a, a poignant scripture that I believe really establishes one of the character traits of God, that God is a builder and he is seeking to build a house. And unless he builds it, all of our work is in vain. It's a metaphor for family. And we see this as we read through 127, that it speaks of having children and the blessing that they will be to their father. And so we see that from the very beginning, God is a family man. I think for too long, systems and organization has been preached and not enough of family has been preached. That God is seeking to build a family. We, we're part of a denomination. I love the Pentecostal Church of God, but I think for too long, uh, ideas of denomination have been preached. I think that for too long, ideas of how to build the perfect church have been preached when really what it comes down to is God is looking to make the family bigger. There are sons and daughters who are out there who don't know that they're sons and daughters and it's our responsibility to go get them and bring them home. In the New Testament, it's confirmed. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says that we are God's building. We are, uh, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And so it is very much in the heart of God to build a family. And there are three ways that I want to talk to you about that God builds. The first way that God builds is by revelation. Say revelation. Matthew 16, 15 through 18 says this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter receives a revelation of who Christ really is. Until you catch a revelation, I could preach to you till I turn blue in the face and until what they used to say, the cows come home. But if you don't catch by way of revelation, you will never build what God is building. We can have good teaching, we can have book smarts, we can have degrees, but it is by the way of revelation that God builds. Until we catch a revelation, revelation isn't here. Revelation is in our spirit. There is something that happens by way of revelation. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? What have you recognized? What revelation have you caught about my identity? Because some say I'm a prophet, some say I'm Elijah, but who is it that you say that I am? Until we catch by revelation who Christ is, we can't build. And what does Jesus say here? He says, and you, Peter, upon this rock, upon this revelation, 
I will build my church. When you recognize me as the Christ, the anointed one, what was Peter recognizing? He wasn't just recognizing that Jesus was the Messiah. He says, you are the Christ. He doesn't use the word Messiah there. He says, you are the anointed one. You are the one set apart from the foundation of the earth to change the trajectory of human history. You are the one that has come to break the yoke of sin. What does Isaiah 10, 10 27 say? The anointing is what breaks the yoke. So, so Peter has a revelation. You are the anointed one. You are the one who breaks shackles. You are the one. And Jesus responds, By that revelation, I will build my church. I'm not looking to build it by the revelation of just me being the one who's come to save you. I'm building the revelation by me being the one who's come to set you free. Jesus responds uh, according to this vital nature of his name. His name is embodied in authority to heal the sick, cast out devils, etc. And so it's by revelation that he builds. The second way that Christ builds is relationally. See, we can have revelation, but if we don't have relation, we'll be out of balance. There are a lot of people who have caught revelation. Now, some of it's by false spirits, but people with revelation who don't have relationship will always be out of balance. And so he builds relationally. We've already seen this. He's building a family. It's about joining and connection. And we must join things together. We see this in 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul talks about that we are a multi-membered body. We all have a function. We all have a different part to play. Some of us are the liver. Some of us are the heart. Some of us are the eyes. Whatever it is, we vitally need one another. And this is a particular problem for us today in our culture is that we live with a disposable relationship mentality. We get offended. We dislike someone. Oh, toss them out of my life. I saw, I'm just going to say, one of the most ignorant posts I've ever read this morning from some famous preacher. When people don't like you, it's God's way of protecting you. No, people probably don't like you because you're not a very nice person and you don't represent the love of God. Our culture has made it a trophy to not be liked. And the people who aren't liked, I'm thinking, I wouldn't like you either. We should be known by our love. There should be, I, I, listen, I used to live from that mentality. I'm a prophet, so people don't like me. That is garbage. Toss that out the window. When did it become popular to not be liked by people in the church? We should be the most loving most unified people, regardless of who your pastor is or what church you go to or what season you're in, be loving. I don't want to go to their conferences anymore because they're all mean and rude. I've been in the green rooms. They get up and they preach all this wonderful stuff and then they go back and I'm like, yeah, I don't like you. God's protecting me from you, not you from me. And it, it, all this garbage, all these things. You know, there, there's this whole movement about preaching about your Judas. Jesus ate with Judas. He didn't kick him out. It's the most ridiculous stuff, guys. 
I'm just like, can we just get the love of God and just walk relationally? So dumb. Okay, off the soapbox. So we become offended and we dislike people and then we become disjointed. And this is what creates this sectarianism in the body. Listen, I don't care if you're Baptist, Presbyterian. I I don't care. Do you love Jesus? And do you preach the gospel? Then you are my brother. We walk together. But see, what happens is when God joins us together, we are empowered to fulfill more effectively our destiny. I can't do this without you. And you can't do this without me. God puts us into relationship. The third thing or the third way that he builds is he builds generationally. God has long term plans. And so each generation is to pass on vision, strategy, resources and have a plan for the next generation. See, one of the things that that really went wrong in the 50s and 40s and 50s with the, the great healing revivals, they didn't have a succession plan. There was no investment into the next generation. They just, they were the man of power for the hour and then they died. And no one carries their mantles. And no one walks in that same anointing because they didn't train people up to do it. They thought, oh, I've got to protect the anointing. All this garbage about, well, I can't fly on commercial airplanes. There's too many demons. Huh? Put me with the people. I love doing deliverance at 26,000 feet in the air. They can't run. Generationally, we see this confirmed in the Hebrew model of prosperity. The Hebrews understood something that prosperity wasn't for one generation. The Hebrew idea of prosperity was that it set up an inheritance for your children's children. So not just for your children, but for your grandchildren. That it was, it was generational. You know, <clears throat> mom, if you're watching, I love you. So this has nothing to do with you. All right? Just, just being clear, mom, because I know she's watching. I saw her pop up. But technically, I'm fifth generation Pentecostal. When I, when I did my genealogy and I looked at and I asked questions about where all this went through, but there were huge gaps in that. Because there was revelation that wasn't imparted to the next generation. We just got taken to church. But church didn't always live at home. And that's why we have a generation of people who are like, who you are on Sunday is not who you are on Monday. Why would I want that? Now I'll tell you something about my mama. She lived Jesus. Even when she was crazy. Love you, mom. But she always in the home pointed me back to Jesus. When she didn't have the answers, she pointed me to Jesus. When she had the answer, the answer was Jesus. Because she was determined that I would know Jesus even if she was going through hell. And she did. She went through hell. But she was determined. And so it brought something in me to know Jesus. One is identified by previous generations in the Hebrew culture. That's why he's known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He wasn't just the God of Jacob. He was the God of 
Isaac, and he was the God of Abraham. So when God builds, he's not building for one group of people. He's building for the people who will come after you. I believe that God is building the equipping church that long after I'm dead, there will still be an equipping church, not because of Jacob Biswell, because it's the house that God built. It's the house that God built. And I just get to grab a hammer and build with him. Don't give me power tools, y'all. I've got scars to prove it does not go well. But what is the result is that all of us, every single one of us are called to build. And the question therefore remains, and this is what I want to talk about for the next couple of weeks. What are we building and how do we build? What are we building and how do we build? Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to cover some scripture, y'all. How many of you love the Word of God? If you don't, you need to. I'll cast that apathetic demon out of you. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Ooh, I love that. I could preach on that right there. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was also faithful in all of his house. For this one, speaking of Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son, catch that, over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, a firm to the end. What is the challenge here? To consider Jesus, who is what? The author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who went before us. And the consideration in considering Jesus is to look at a comparison of Moses. I love the writer of Hebrews here because he he or she, we don't really know. A lot of people think it was a woman because the way it was written, and I'm totally okay with that. Those who aren't, well, let's cast some demons out. I have so many soapboxes this morning. This is dangerous. Preach the word, Jacob. But the comparison makes this conclusion. He has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why was that? Well, it gives us the answer in verse 5. Moses was faithful, what? As a servant in the house. And then verse 6, but Jesus as a son. So we have this comparison. Both building, Moses was building as a servant. He was building the house for God. But Jesus steps in as a son to build. And because one built as a servant, the other built as a son, and we have two manners in which we can approach building. We can build as servants or we can build as sons. But the difference between being a servant and being a son revolves around attitude. And always under the new covenant, God desires to give us the identity of sons, not servants. And we see that even Jesus sought to elevate our relationship with Him from the mentality of a servant 
to that of a friend. John 15, 15. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known unto you. What was his goal? His goal was to create sons. He said, I don't call you servants. You're not just someone who works for me. You're one who works with me. We build with God. Ephesians 1.5, He predestined us as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. He predestined us. He already had it in His plan for us to experience adoption as sons. Galatians 4.4-7, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore, I love that word, therefore, such a good good transition word there, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This is a theme all throughout the New Testament that we are adopted as sons and the result is that you are no longer a slave or a servant, but a son. And as a result with the rights as an heir for the inheritance of all that is available from God, our father, you are not working for a paycheck. You are working for an inheritance. And for too long, the church has lived with a paycheck to paycheck mentality. I'm just serving the house so one day I can have my calling. You are already predestined to your call. You are already predestined as a son. So stop living like a slave in the house and start living as a son who builds with God, not for God. As sons, we have an inheritance. There is an ownership. We will inherit everything being built. And because of this, our attitudes and behaviors will be greatly impacted. So when this comes to the church, to the house of God, when we understand that we are working as sons of the house, it will have a huge impact on how we serve. How a person serves in the house is determined by how we see ourselves. If all you see is that you are a servant here in the house, you will behave like a servant. But if you see yourself as a son, you will behave as a son as though whatever happens in the household is taken personally because it is your inheritance that is at stake. John ten twelve is a great example of this. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The servant sees the danger coming and goes, I'm out. But the son has a stake in the family business. He will risk his life. He will defend the house and everything associated with it. When the fire comes, the son stays and puts out the fire. The servant flees. 
Put in today's terms, when trouble comes to the household of God, a son remains and battles through the issue. A son remains and battles through having no worship team. A son battles and stays and says, God is building something and I have an inheritance in it. But a servant, all he does is change churches. And what God is looking for are true sons and daughters of the house. Those who have been so transformed in their hearts, they take on the attitudes and behaviors of a son. You know, yes, I'm, I'm only 31 years old. I had a student this week say, I thought you were 50. Hallelujah. It's this little gray hair right there. That's it. Did someone say it's just getting started? <laughs> Calling forth the gray? Hallelujah. But you know, I've had the privilege of being able to be a spiritual father. And I, I recognize that because I first learned how to be a son. You know, these two here on the front row, Hector and Susanna, they're sons of the house. Remember, I said last week, you can't be offended when I use the word son because it's not gender specific. I'm not going to be PC to have to say sons and daughter every single time. But even when there's fires, they're like, we've got the fire extinguisher. Let's get it. You know, Amber wrote a great post last night about the transformation that's taken place in this house, in her life. And I really can't take credit for it because it's the work of God. But it is such a privilege to to see lives transformed. And I used to have the characteristics of a servant. I lived those out. I've sent emails to previous pastors and apologized. I'm so sorry. I'm a pastor now and I get it. I understand. But I want to compare the different attitudes of sons versus servants. I've got 11. I'm not covering them all today. I'll cover three today. But it's attitudes we see in churches every day with different people. And the challenge that I want to issue to you this morning is for you to come to understand where you are as an individual in terms of being like Moses, who is simply a servant, or have you risen in your hearts an attitude to that of Christ, a true son of the house? The first one is sons build the house while servants simply serve in the house. Moses served in the house where Christ built the house. Building is superior to serving in the house. It can be as simple as teaching a class or building the people. Teaching a class or building a family. As a son, we see every person as prospective building material. Always alert, initiating, seeking to work with people to build something. A servant can't initiate anything. A servant goes, okay, service starts at 10, get there about 10.05, and at the altar call, we're going to hop out. But a son goes, who haven't I connected with this week? Who, who am I not building? Let me initiate. I saw that person come two weeks in a row, and I, I don't know if anyone's talked to them yet. An employee says, it's not my job. If you've ever been a supervisor, have you ever heard that before? That's not my job. I don't empty trash cans. i never forget this. I, I was on staff at a church, and one of our volunteers, I 
had asked them if they could come a little bit early to help me with something. And they said, I don't do that. I said, I don't either. I just need some help. Well, you'll have to find someone else to help. I thought, my goodness. And in the next staff meeting, that person's name was brought up because they were going to have this person preach in a few weeks. And I said, Pastor, if I, if I could just humbly say something, that person wouldn't even show up 10 minutes early to help me set the flags out front. And they said, oh, then they're not preaching because they just want a platform and they don't want to build the house. Because see, a son takes care of the house. It's a completely different mentality. Sons hold the father's heart. When I talk about the father this morning, hear me, I'm not talking about Jacob. I'm talking about the father. He's the father of the house. I'm an under shepherd. Now, do I father? Yes, absolutely. Is, is Pastor Anna a mother of the house? Absolutely. But ultimately, it's his heart. I'm just a son stewarding his heart. Sons hold the father's heart and success of the father's work as their own. Luke 16, 12. And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Sons seek to be faithful in another man's work. Everyone begins with opportunities to be faithful in what is someone else's. The testing ground to see what heart we hold. That of a son or a servant. Servants take using the resources and wealth of the house to further their own goals. Sons who will inherit wait for the opportune time to be given. Seen all the time in churches, ambitious people jumping out of servants' roles. I can't tell you how many people I've sat across from in my office and they've said, well, I have such a great ministry and if you'll just let me preach, I'll prove it to you. And I go, I would love to, but I don't know you. I would love to give you that opportunity, but I, 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 I've not labored with you. I've been given an entrustment by the Father to protect His sheep and I don't know if you're going to get up and be crazy. Linda will remember this. We had only been here a year and I'd been told there was this evangelist who was just phenomenal. And I'd watched some of his YouTube videos and it was our one year anniversary as pastors. And so we reached out to this guy to have him in. And I'm sitting on the front row as he comes in and he's wearing one jacket. And then as he gets up to preach, he says, wait a minute, I've got to put on my prophet jacket. Oh, okay. So he pulls off his black jacket in this great Benny Hinn-esque style. He says, and the anointing will come. And he puts on his prophet jacket. And I'm going, what have I gotten myself into? And then halfway through his message, which was three hours, we're sitting on the front row. When he says, I'm clearly not received as prophet. And he yanks the prophet jacket off and throws it across the church. I'm going, Jesus, help me. What do I do? So finally, at hour three, when he had pulled someone up out of the thing and punched them in the stomach to get the demon out of them, I stood up and I said, service is over. Lunch is served in the back. Have a great day. I thought, Lord Jesus. I've, and from that point on, I had to know who I labored amongst. Because opportunity 
For a servant is always seen as a way to build themselves. But as a son, opportunity is always seen as a way to build the house. That's why we only have guest ministries in who come to build the house. I don't need to build someone else's ministry. I need to build the house. We need to build the house. That's what God is seeking to do. He's seeking to build the house. Sons never see themselves as first, but the family first. Sons wait, and they wait for the full blessing of the Father to come upon them for their future and destiny. Number two, sons are always family-orientated, while servants are always issue and ministry-orientated. An issue arises in the church. It may be contentious. It may be even painful. And servants will respond very differently. Servants will split the family on an issue. The issue becomes the all-important thing. A son may have an opinion, but won't split the family on that. Sons are not issue-orientated. They want to build. They want to hold unity at all costs because they are seeking to build. To put it another way, sons think corporately where servants think individually. The result is a son will preserve and protect the family, the church, the household of faith, but a servant will divide over issues and ministry things. Number three. Sons use the language of a family because they're family-orientated. Servants will use individual terminology because they are ministry-orientated. Sons use words like we, our, us, while servants use mine, they, them. I can always tell when a new person has made TEC their home because they'll say, our church. They'll say, my church. They'll identify as we. They won't refer to it as your church, their church. Hireling language can be imitated. They can imitate language, but when pressure comes, when pressure comes, true language will come forth. You'll know. The result is listen to the vocabulary of people around you. As sons, if the church comes under attack, it's we're under attack because it's my family. When you are hurting, our leaders, our leaders get together and say, how can we help our family? How can we pray for them? How can we serve them? How can we fight with them? How can we fight for them? Because you're part of the family. If it's your first time, If it's your 100th time, the minute you walk through those doors, you're family. Because we recognize you're not just coming to church. You're coming to the table. And we eat together at the table. We we fellowship together at the table. And we fight together at the table. Because we're family. I'll give you another eight next week. What's the underlying issue as I close this morning? We are seeking to build strongly over the remainder of this year and into next year our leadership culture. All of you are leaders. Every single one of you are leaders and ministers. I'm not the minister because I'm the pastor. 
Gone are the days of that old way of thinking. Well, I need to call the pastor. The pastor needs to come pray. Yes, listen. You call me, I'll be there. You need me to come, I'll come pray with you. But then I'm going to teach you how to pray. I'm going to equip you to do the ministry. You need a miracle? We'll pray with you for your miracle. We'll fast for your miracle. We'll believe for your miracle. But I'm going to teach you how to do it too. Because I'm not called to do it all. We are called to do it. Pastor Anna and I have strongly in our hearts to really focus toward the development of people who are true sons and daughters of the house of the Equipping Church. And the whole objective is to help you identify where your, home, where your own heart is at and seek to allow God to infiltrate those hidden attitudes and responses so that you might move to a place as, as it is spoken of Christ, a place of greater glory. The glory, so many people preach on glory. The glory comes in sonship. The glory doesn't come because I'm anointed or you're anointed. You know, all through the Old Testament, he says, I won't share my glory with anyone. And yet, in John, when Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, I call you call you friends. He goes on in chapter 17 to say the same glory that was given to me, I freely give to you. You want glory on your life? Become a son. Become a friend of Jesus. Become a son in his house. Now maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I don't know if I'm called to this house. You'll never know until you plug in. Way too many people walk through a door and go, ah, oh, I didn't care for that worship. And gosh, you know, that guy who takes the offering, he has an accent. I had someone say that to me one time. I said, he might have an accent, but you have demons. It was Susanna. I'm just kidding. <laughs> But let me tell you this, I'll fight for my family. I'll fight for you. Because I know you have a destiny to fulfill. And I can't fulfill mine without you. And you can't fulfill yours without me. That's scary. Because we are so used to being islands on our own. That's what we're taught. The, the newest mantra is the highest happiness is when you are most free individually. Nah. The greatest fulfillment for human beings is when we're connected to the body and we're serving the house of God as sons. Will you stand this morning? The first key to sonship is our relationship with the Father. If you've never come into relationship with the Father, I'll make it easier on you, Amber. If you've never come into relationship with the Father, it's a choice we make. We choose to walk in relationship with the Father. 
But to do that, you got to repent. What does that mean? Change the way you think about your sin. Recognize that living a lifestyle of sin is not the ultimate way and that a lifestyle of sin leads to hell. Jesus provided a way of escape. So this morning, if you've never made that decision to follow him, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you're like, man, it's been years. I'm so far away. In a moment, you can come home. That's you. If you're in the room this morning, you're watching by live stream. I just want you to raise your hand. Raising your hand, you're saying, I want to pray with you this morning to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to repent. I want to change my way of thinking. If that's you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand. Maybe you're watching by live stream. Regardless of hands being raised this morning, we're going to pray this together. We're going to pray boldly. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for everything I've done that's created distance between who you are and who I've been created to be. Today, I choose to come home to be a son in the house of God. Today, I choose to become a new creation. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingcenter.us.